your life changes, but your friends don't. Welcome to Oh Yeah, Oh Yeah, The Entourage Podcast. We are recapping season one of the acclaimed HBO dramedy Entourage. We've spent the last eight episodes going episode by episode through this incredible first run of this show. Back in 2004, I've had an incredible cast of guests on, and I am so happy to welcome back the co-founder of BroBible.com and my personal friend, Brandon Wenard, to break down the season with me. How are we doing today, Brandon? Oh, man, we are great. It is a beautiful day here in Los Angeles. Just like in the entourage world, it's always a beautiful day here in Los Angeles. I literally think there isn't a cloudy day in one episode of the show. <laughs> I don't think there's a cloudy day either, which is hilarious because we just received like a record-breaking amount of rain here in Southern California. <laughs> yeah, um, for all those people who may not live on the West Coast, you know, Brandon and I do, obviously, it's not always 80 degrees and sunny. There are more often days like that but there aren't always days like that so the show is a little bit of a little bit of a liar in that sense oh you mean it's a fantasy what yeah yeah <laughs> believe it or not the show may or may not be a fantasy thank you so much to everybody who's been listening all season if you haven't yet please make sure you go back and listen to listen to episodes one through eight Episode 8, the finale, New York, we had a great guest on, Anthony. He runs the very popular Entourage Quotes uh, Instagram account. Just a, It was great to just talk with like an Entourage super fan. so if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go back and listen to it. Thank you to everyone that's subscribed, shared, liked, and, and commented on the show. We're still a work in progress. We have a lot of things we're trying to iron out for Season 2, and I'm, I'm excited to go on this journey with everyone. But we are going to make this temporary pit stop to talk about everything that we just went through together in season one of Entourage. Brandon, before we dive into kind of the nitty gritty of it, what'd you think of season one of Entourage? I think that like the way that the friend dynamic kind of shows is, is, is pretty incredible. But um, the way that Hollywood old, this kind of antiquated version of Hollywood 10 years ago <laughs> is portrayed is, or sorry, 20 years ago, almost yep. now, uh, is, is, is portrayed, um, is, is like kind of like comical and hilarious, like, and, and, and cheesy. And like, I, I don't know. I just think the cheesiness, like there's something to really love about it as a time capsule in season one. And, you know, I, I think that you see, the birth of like how a lot of movie stars start their career. Yeah. Um, I don't, I think it's like if you were to take like the Vinny Chase story and I think you could apply it to a ton of, of both uh, male and female movie stars. And, uh, and I think that like where he is in that sort of mid, very entry level point of his career pre stardom but like becoming well known uh, right before the hockey stick, yep. if you will, um, uh, is the hockey stick of growth. I think that like watching Entourage like that in the first season is like really something special because I think a lot of like celebrities and people that have cultivated careers really look at that time when they're right about to explode as like a really, really, really important time in their life. And that's what season one is. There's what came through to me and what I think came through to a lot of the, you know, 
national viewing audience is that at the end of the day, the most important people to you are the closest to you. And it's those friends from childhood that you can trust in the beginning. And those types of relationships really come through in the season one. It's a lot of like positioning season one, like E slowly moving into the manager position, Ari slowly like rising to the top as this like formidable Hollywood character drama you know, turtle really isn't fleshed out as much in season one and that's it we'll definitely get to that in this episode there's a lot of like repositioning of like these people this group of guys who have been friends since childhood thrown into this ridiculous world and trying to like tread water and that was what i think was so interesting to see because agreed this was the this is the infancy of movie star vincent chase's career and watching him go from like the highs and lows of it and let's be honest the lows of season one are nowhere near the lows of like later seasons of the show was really entertaining and it left a really like good taste in everybody's mouth and it ramped up into what in a lot of people's mind is the best couple years of entourage which was seasons like two three and four i really think that the uh, the positioning thing i think is so 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 perfect because like what happens with ari he's untouchable until like you know, the Josh Weinstein power yep. play and yep. everything like that. And uh, and you actually start to see his weakness. Yes, he has bravado and swagger and everything like that. But it kind of makes you realize that uh, even in, in the power structure of Entourage and how gatekeepers sort of act in the entertainment industry, uh, there's a lot of moving parts to it, man. And there's a lot of positioning to it. And I think that, you know... Um, that really reveals itself in every aspect of uh, Vince, in every aspect of you know Kevin and 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 Ari, um, and I think that that dynamic obviously is what propels the show forward. Really. So let's talk about the characters in a little bit more detail. For everyone who's listening, if you've been watching season one, this will be a little bit of retreading. Now, I just want to kind of hit on the main plot points that each character goes through I'll, I'll try to keep this as short as possible but i'll break it down i'll break it down kind of character by character in, in the main entourage which is vince e turtle drama and ari um so vince we'll start with vince you know basting in his latest movie premiere hollywood it actor vincent chase joins his childhood pals to debate the pros and cons of attending their 10th high school reunion back east in new york after he gets an additive review of his film, he ramps up his already excessive spending by leasing a new Rolls Royce. He decides to celebrate the opening night of his latest movie head-on with a group date, where he turns on the charm with the virginal pop star Justine Chapin. Later in season one, his fling with a cruelty-free vegan named Fiona brings unexpected karma and a little bit of rift amongst the entourage. And at the end of the season, Vince prepares to say goodbye to L.A., as well as his many special friends, and ultimately hires his best friend Eric as his manager. Eric has been Vince's de facto manager throughout the whole season. At the beginning of the season, he incurs the wrath of Vince's agent Ari by advising Vince to pass on a script he hasn't even read yet. He then pushes a promising new script set in Queens called Queens Boulevard. However, he becomes concerned over the choice of director, an indie loose tannin named Billy Walsh. Eric puts his new love interest Emily in a compromising position with her boss Ari, and he chooses to stick it out with his ex-girlfriend Kristen at the end of the season. Finally, sick of only being known as Vince's guy, Eric asks for a title that is online with his responsibilities and eventually gets it. Turtle, Vince's driver, agrees to test the mettle of the entourage's new guard dog, a Rottweiler named Arnold. 
He taps into Vince's fan mail for some action on date night, with disastrous results. He irritates an actor, Derry Busey, at an art opening. And lastly, he plans Vince's going away party for the crew at the end of the season, which ultimately Vince never shows up for. Johnny Drama. Starts season one without an agent. He steps a vagina monologues rehearsal to join Vince in the entourage at a wild party hosted by Jessica Alba. His pumped-up gal pal Tanya struts her stuff at the bowling alley, also with disastrous results. And his new agent, Adam Davies, lands him an audition for a guest-starring role on a television pilot, which shooting schedule conflicts with Queens Boulevard. (laughs) As is on par with the rest of the show, drama blows the audition. Lastly, Ari, super agent Ari Gold, he encourages his client Vincent Chase to take the next bid project before the release of his film Head On. He discourages Vince's childhood friend E from being Vince's manager. The script for Queens Boulevard becomes a main focal point for the season for Ari as his former assistant Josh Weinstein presents it to the boys, and Ari almost loses Vince as a client to Josh Weinstein. And begrudgingly, he puts support behind Eric to be Vince's manager, and eventually, at the end of the season, agrees to let Vince do Queens Boulevard as long as his next project is a studio one. Some foreshadowing there. Much like our normal episodes week by week, I do want to talk about the highlights, some of the highs and lows. We aren't going to get into the real nitty-gritty episode by episode because you can listen to those details in the previous six epi- previous seven episodes. But, Brandon, if you were to look back on season one, what would you say is your favorite moment from this entire eight-episode run? Oh, man. It's such a loaded question. I would say that, like, I think my favorite moment for um for like coolness factor mm-hmm. yeah. would be Je- would be the Jessica Alba party. Oh yeah. Um I like I would say that from my favorite like wow these guys are like truly living living the dream would be when they're like you know they're they're hyping up the Alba party uh they're like you know they kind of are going through the motions of what it's going to look like etc talking it up um and, and then there's that amazing shot um you know when they're when they're overlooking the city and they're like we're just looking at a bunch of lights when there's all these hot girls around us <laughs> what a view we're at a party with some of the hottest girls in the world and we're staring at a bunch of fucking lights let's go find you a girly yeah what about me uh, to me I think that was the moment when I like really fell in love with like the premise of the entire show. Sure. It was because it was absolutely um it's like oh inspiring but like very cosmetic and like whatever. Um th- in terms of coolness, all right? Yeah, totally. My favorite moment in terms of um drama, like uh, uh of drama in the show, not Johnny drama. Yeah. Uh was the was was the Malibu episode. Uh <laughs> where like Ari you know shows that moment of weakness. Uh basically there's, you know, multiple cutaway scenes back and forth between Ari at his uh Ari at his, you know, kid's birthday party. Yep. And, you know, the, this beach party in Malibu, uh, Gary Busey's house and whatnot, and, uh, and the kind of the drama about uh, Queens Boulevard and what's, what's unfolding there. And, you know, 
look like Ari making the play there to to make everything happen. That was like the sh- that was like such a scene to me where I'm like, oh yeah, this is badass. <laughs> Um, so those are my two kind of dueling favorite moments, uh, of, of the show overall. Yeah. Ari's, I of, call the, the, of the, of the season. So of the I'm season, so sorry. Of course. Yeah. yeah. I, t- yeah. I call that scene, the Topa Tabana shot for Ari. Don't say nothing by the roots is playing. He pulls up in his Mercedes yep. and tells the, uh, valet, keep it running. And then keep it right out here. I won't be long. Weinstein. Anyone seen Jack Weinstein? Yeah, he's upside drinking mimosa. There you go. The motherfucking host of this shit, dig. Yeah, he kind of stalks through the house. This was like Jeremy Piven's coming out this season. Jeremy Piven is a three-time Emmy winner for Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy for Entourage as Ari Dold. He did not win for this season. Spoiler alert, he won for the next three seasons in a row. So this is like kind of his ramp up. That fucking speech that he gives in front of Josh Weinstein. You know what other class I took at Harvard? Business ethics. I don't steal other people's motherfucking clients. But in your case, I'm going to make an exception. I'm going to take everyone. Your B-level sitcom stars, your reality TV writers. When I'm done with you, you're going to be repping sideshow freaks. You need JoJo the dog-faced bitch boy? Call Josh Winefuck, the lightweight pen-stealing fuckface. That's awful. Now where's my boy Vinny Chase? That is in some incredible writing by Dodd Allen and just like world-class acting. Absolutely. I also, I think that like, I, you know, in a lot of ways it was kind of, it's kind of funny because like the next episode is all about, uh, setting everything up with Billy and everything like that. And like, don't get me wrong. Billy is his own special set of like crazy, but I think that you feel like everything's going to actually happen in the mallet. Like, I don't want to say it's almost like the bow is about to be neatly tied together yep. by the time they're watching the sunset there. Um, and I think that Billy is like, it's kind of like, I don't want to say fun, but like, yeah. all right, cool. Let's, how do we make this like really, really gonzo, really crazy here? I see what you're saying. The stakes are much higher in Busey and the beach at the, at the beach house. Yes. Where you actually think it's a that stakes thing. Ari's going to lose Ian Vince as a client to Josh Weinstein. And the Billy Walsh episode is kind of like, oh, this Billy Walsh, he's a bit of a loose cannon. What do we do about him? And then ultimately, they're right. we like him. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. it's like, and, it, and it's it's comical because, like, they didn't discover that they liked him until they watched uh, that ridiculous, like, movie, um, <laughs> you know, with the, with the like, beach scene or yeah, whatever it is, that indie yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, the black and white movie. It's like, oh, okay, that's your takeaway for this guy you're about to like take such a huge career gamble on. Yep. Is yep. like, is like, oh yeah, 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 okay, this is our guy <laughs> for your second movie. They always say like for your soft- second movie, right? The sophomore album is like the hardest thing for like a, a some sort of like a creative to do, and like that, that's a huge gamble. To, an untested indie director, a script that they were handed in a gym locker room. Like, yeah, these guys. I'm shocked at how many times these guys just roll the dice. And it's week after week, episode after episode, season after season, they just roll their dice on Vince's career, on money situations. Like, it's really insane. I think that's really what appealed to the most 
appealed the most about it to uh, young guys. Yeah, I also wonder, like, you know, Entourage is obviously incredibly fiction. Sure. Um, but, like, rooted in reality in a way. Um, and that's kind of was what made it such a cultural thing um, at the time. And, like, I'm wondering, the way that you talked about, like, the sophomore album, the sophomore album thing, like, I'm wondering if it's ever, ha- like, something like this really has ever happened, where uh, an actor is seen some sort of mainstream success they've emerged um as you know a movie star or whatever but then they're this hands-on and getting something like queen's boulevard made because like it's the role they were born to be in um I was almost thinking about like Jennifer Lawrence's career, sure. where like she started with like Winter Bone, Winter's Bone, um, which was this incredibly like critically acclaimed uh, indie movie that, that nobody, you know, saw. Was, nobody saw. Nobody yep. saw. Um, and like you know, and then it just becomes this like hit mach- critically acclaimed hit machine yeah. uh, before you know, obviously like Hunger Games and everything else like that. Um, and uh, I, I wonder um, how much input did she actually have in all of those, like, in decisions. all of that, you know, yeah. in all those decisions, right? Because, like, in the entourage world, it's like, look, we can just make this all come together. Sure. Um, you know, we can uh, get high with it. We can find weed for the producer of the movie <laughs> um, and get high and then get him out of, you know, play the get out of jail free card. With the movie star. Yeah. With the movie star. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, you know, oh, yeah, you owe me now for this, you know, <laughs> what is it, $60,000 paycheck movie. <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. I, I would love to have sometime in season two or three have an actual, uh, you know, Hollywood producer or a talent agent on to discuss the differences because we understand that this is fiction. I have no illusions here. Like, right, this right, is right, right, right. A work to fiction and, and, yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of differences. Um, in terms of my favorite moments <laughs> from season yeah. one. Sorry, big tangent. No, all good. All good. I love, I love the sidebars. So that was, that was the point of this episode. Uh, I would say I have two as well and they're, and they booked end the season there. It's a moment from the pilot and a moment from, uh, the finale of season one. And I think I discussed this moment with you when I had you on to dissect the pilot. Just the first walking and talking scene. The boys get out of their yellow Hummer. They're walking into Warner's to meet the director of uh, Matterhorn. You know what? For two years, you guys mooched off me. You ate my food. You fucked my fallout. Your what? My Melrose Place fallout pussy. What's my payback? Sharing a bathroom with this fat fuck? Do you need to go out my way? You balding, unemployable douchebag. Johnny, your family. I need you close, all right? Besides, you're going to thank me when Charles Manson breaks in the house and slits Eric's throat while we're safe in town with... What's the dog's name? Arnold. Arnold? <laughs> I like that. Get the dog, turtle. Quick decisions. That's why you're a star, Vince. Yeah, do what you got to do, but I don't pick up Whoa, dog shit. Oh, it's the wrecking crew. <laughs> hey, turtle. Yo. I hooked you up with my friend, right? Yeah, yeah. That shit ain't free. Pay him his fucking money. Come on. You know I'm good for it. Drama, let's tee it up, man. Well, you know, I'm working on that thing, but yeah, this really I can do natural it. interplay between them and Wahlberg and each other. And it just, it feels like a good hang. And it's just something that, like, as you watched it, you're like, I'm ready to sign up for this for the next five years. Like, I want to hang with these dudes on a daily basis. And so I really like that as an introduction. And then, it, kind of as a bookend to that, in the episode eight finale, there's that scene with Eric and Vince on the tarmac at LAX where Eric shows up with Vince's wallet, 
they kind of exchange awkward goodbyes. The p private jet starts to pull away, and then Vince charges off and is like, You're telling me you're willing to fuck up our friendship? This doesn't work out. There's no turning back. My best friend I can't fire, but my manager is replaceable. Yeah, that's the chance I'm willing to take. Yeah? At 5% of me, I take that chance too. 10% plus health insurance. You're telling me you're willing to fuck up our lifelong friendship to be my manager? Like, my best friend, I really can't fire, but my manager, I definitely can. And Eric's kind of like, yep, I'm the guy for it. And I really liked that. It was this really nice, dramatic, kind of meaningful moment that was at the, it was kind of on the tail end of a couple of goofy episodes with Billy, the Sherpa, the beach. There was a lot of, a lot of goofy shit that led up to that. And it, it really kind of brought me back to like, I like these guys. I want to hang with these guys. Give me seven more seasons right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think it's also like the first, you know, truly genuine like moment like that where yeah. uh, you're like, oh shit, like, it, this is a potential cliffhanger. Like, if this goes the other way, where does the show go from here? You know what I mean? And most importantly, what happens to E's 1992 Honda Civic? Uh, that was really on my mind. <laughs> yeah, just I didn't leave know you could just, there? like, especially, like, and this is in the post-9-11 world. Yes. Let's remember this, all right? <laughs> that Honda Civic on a runway tarmac is... It's dicey. Yeah, how much, like, TSA had to rip that thing apart before he pulled it onto the runway. <laughs> They're using mirrors underneath it. They're having them pop the trunk. Yeah, no. Yeah, I also don't think you can, like, start a jet and then, like, stop it like that. Like, it's an FAA violation. It's definitely an FAA violation. It's not a lawnmower. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> okay, um... Entourage is a very quotable show. There are some classic season one lines. Ari Gold utters most of them. Brandon, if you could, you know, if you could narrow it down to one classic line from season one, what would it be? All right, with me, it is definitely not um, my favorite line. Would one thousand percent be after uh, you know drama gets all dressed up? They go to the agency, etc. He has his meeting with you know his his you know, agent Davies. in the yeah. Davies, yeah, and, uh, and and drama is just, like, squirming the whole time and uh, gets shooed away, if you will. I am the game, pal. Oh, that's is, it. Uh, that's it. Well, I'll fight for you. But I can't lie, it's uh, not going to be easy to get you back in the game. Back in the game. I am the fucking game, pal. Come on, let's go. Come on. To me, that was the... That was that was absolutely hilarious. That's I, the, like, most gut-busting line, in my opinion, of the, of the entire season. Drama in that moment kind of solidifies himself as, like, his just sheer kind of naive optimism of, like, I'm gonna make it is just on full display there, and it's so like, wonderfully idiotic that you just can't help but laugh. He's so confident. He just looks at Davies and he's like, back in the game? I am the fucking game, pal. Turtle, let's go. Like, it's amazing. He's finally given representation and he motherfucks the die. It's great. 
It, yeah, it's incredible. And, like, it also just goes to show you that entire scene. And I know this is the point to, of this recap to dwell on it, but I think it's important. Like, being a celebrity in that era was so different from what it is now. Where, yep. like, honestly, like, drama probably didn't. Uh, somebody like drama who's, you know, doomed to TV or whatever probably didn't have much of a shot. Yep. Like, it, it was probably a really realistic thing. But now in the world of, like, social media, reboots, whatever, being, sure. you know... A YouTube quirky, TV. Yeah, quir- right, YouTube TV, whatever. <laughs> a quirky person on Instagram. Yep. Like, people would be clamoring to have somebody like Viking Quest Johnny Drama, <laughs> yeah. like, out of sheer ridiculousness to put them, you know, as the voiceover in their Amazon documentary or something. 100%. He'd have his own, like, fitness... Instagram channel, you know what I mean? Like him oh, doing yeah. really old workouts from the nineties and then being like, look at the Viking Quest guy, he's got his own workout channel now. Like Right. Like it's impossible to be I, I hate to say that it's impossible to be, but like it is kind of impossible to be a washed up celebrity yeah. in like twenty nineteen. Like yeah. there's so many ways for people to know of you. <laughs> yeah. Later on in the in the season, I think it's in episode eight when Davies presents him with the CSI pilot drama goes you think i got a shot at this you're johnny drama you always got a shot and that type of like meat-headed encouragement is really what drama thinks and it's that type of like blissful optimism that would play really well in 2019 because the internet just allows that allows people to just do stuff at all times i mean case in point this podcast <laughs> <laughs> um i love it a lot of lot of Dudari lines. It was really hard for me to choose. Obviously, the bid one is you want to hug it out. That one doesn't resonate as much f- for me. I still can't like get over. There's a cab stand at fucking Yucca. It just it's just him losing his shit so quickly and showing how he has severe anger problems in public, like outside a movie theater. That uh, like kind of foreshadows the rest of the show and the rest of his behavior. Then yeah, I, I gotta say I, I mentioned it earlier, but it's it's when he it's when he kind of dominates Weinstein at the at the beach party. There's there's nothing yeah. better. There's nothing better. That's like one of the best written uh, Ari Gold like rants, and it and it happens very early in the show, just a couple episodes in. Yep, absolutely. I mean, look, that's uh, that's that entire that's that's Ari on a pedestal. Yeah, oh, yep. perfect. Best song. What would you say, like, you know, there were a lot of good songs. We had some, some new hip-hop, some old classic rock, a lot of classic rock playing us out in, over the end credits of a lot of these episodes. We had some underground, a lot of Dankstar, The Roots, Young MC. Did any one song jump out at you? The, the curtain down on the, on the end, on the, final sh- on the final shot, when the Jets on the runway, Joe, with yeah. Joe Walsh, Funk, Funk 49, I thought that was, that's just, like, so, so, so sick. Uh, to me, and and you know, I don't know. Joe Walsh is kind of I dig that fits in my fun genre of uh, musical loves, if you will. Funk Forty Nine by Joe Walsh is got that kind of feel good, twangy, like let's go type feeling that like you would play at like a pregame with your buddies if you all were yep. getting together for a college reunion or just someone's bachelor party on a boat or on a deck somewhere. That's 100% yeah. being added to the playlist. And then I, I would say uh, Lucifer by Jay-Z as a, as a curtain down song Dude. for the pilot. Lucifer, I'm going 
a thousand percent. I mean, Luke, that's the most, like, perfect, like, oh, that was, Lucifer was amazing. Um, I would also say Evan in front in the pilot as well. Yep. Like, yep. you know, just because um, going back to literally the very first ep- first time of us, you know, talking about the show together, yep. um, that scene where they're walking the red carpet and it's like pump up, you like, you know, everybody's kind of mugging it up for the cameras and everything like that. Um, oh, it's it's amazing entrance music. It's unfortunate because the song's been used in a lot of like car commercials now, but I don't know if you've seen The Who live. I've seen them live, and they still got it. I'll, I'll stand yeah. by that. And hearing this song live is quite the experience. I'll just leave it at that. If you have the chance to see The Who, they're incredible. This song is is one of their top songs for me. Is, uh, is, is Petey still kicking drum? P- Petey's still kicking yep. drum sets over yep, these days? Yep, 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 yep. I love it. Perfect. A lot of celebrity cameos in Entourage. I think the show has kind of built itself on its celebrity cameos, especially in season one. They started off small and kind of grew as as the season went on, kind of ending with the uh, Scarlett Johansson cameo. But out of these cameos, which was your favorite? I'm, I'm just going to list some of, the, some of the bitter ones. We had Wahlberg in the first episode, Jessica Alba, Jimmy Timmel, Luke Wilson, Val Kilmer, Sarah Silverman, Gary Busey, or Larry David? Who was your favorite in season one, Brandon? My favorite actually was um, my favorite was actually Sarah Silverman. That's so scumbaggy. I know you're married. I take Krav Maga with your wife. I know. I know you do. I'm not trying to fuck you, Sarah. I'm trying to sign you. Here's why: like the fact that she was backstage at Kimmel. Yep. Um. All right. Was. Seemed pretty organic. I don't know if that was when they were it was. Uh, together. That was when they were together, yep. whatever. And I thought that was like kind of a cool little touch. Sure. Yeah. Um, I thought that was like super like Hollywoody. I also think that like like that was the era of the Sarah Silverman show. Yeah. Which was awesome. so awesome <laughs> yeah. and huge at the time. I mean, that was like. Comedy Central, Central Murderer's Row with, like, Chappelle Show era and everything yep. else like that. I thought that that interaction between her and Ari, where Ari, you know, uh, has that incredible line about, um, I'm not trying to fuck you, I'm trying to I'm trying to sign you, yep. um, was, like, absolutely... I thought that was, like, just a really, really cool moment. Is it the, It's not necessarily the funniest cameo, but I think, like, it's a really solid, like, integration of everything that's going on there. It feels real. Not to get on my comedian soapbox here, but people who are only familiar with Sarah Silverman's recent work on Twitter and on Hulu, she's very political now, and we can kind of leave that out of this, but her early comedy is some of the best stand-up comedy you'll ever here her most recent netflix special which is like two or three years old it's called a speck of dust is 100 worth watching i've seen her live a few times and she's filthy she's funny she's sharp like she's been in hollywood for like 30 years so she just kind of gets it and uh i highly recommend checking out some of her earlier stuff because outside of the political stuff she's she's really funny <laughs> that's why i say that that was my favorite cameo because like she was uh, so funny in that era, you know? And she's so funny in this in this cameo as well. So, oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I've got a like a runner-up and then my, my favorite cameo. So my runner-up is Luke Wilson. I think it was... I don't remember who I had on for the... I think it was uh, David Cavucci. But um, I 
he didn't agree that Luke Wilson was a good uh, cameo. I really liked Luke Wilson. Uh, it was in the episode, uh, the talk show. They run into Jimmy Timmel shortly afterwards. But Luke Wilson is like trashed off his ass after like the fight that they attend at the Staples Center, and he's just arguing with Turtle about Rufus, their home theater guy. And so I got this guy Rufus. He's got this company called Home Video Solutions. He just installed this sweet little home system in my place on Mulholland. State of the art, everything. I mean, I could charge admission at this place, guys. Really? I'm not kidding. You. And here's the kicker. I mentioned Rufus's name in InStyle. All he charges me for is installation. Fuck you. No, fuck you. Seriously. Rufus. That's how he does it. He's a wildcat. Turtle's like, fuck you. And he's like, fuck you. My home theater guy's the best. Here's his card. It just felt very like, oh, this is what an interaction between like a celebrity and then a celebrity's driver would be like. I just kind of got that vibe and I, and I liked it. And I also really liked Luke Wilson. This is old school era Luke Wilson. It was pretty much, pretty much his peak. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, I feel like you also can't ignore. Um, I mean, look, Val Kilmer is ridiculous. Sure. In a lot of ways, you know, he's a playing a part. Like yeah. in in that, he's uh, not playing Gar- Val Kilmer in the world of Entourage. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Gary do. Busey is is impossible to ignore. Yeah, um, impossible. Gary Gary Busey when they're at the art gallery and. Turtle knocks so after you know his insane rant about <laughs> like you know what those two circles. Sure, yeah. Meant. This is emotional confusion. And what is emotional confusion? You ask. It's like running naked through a cornfield backwards. The look that he gives when like Turtle and Drama knock that like sculpture over <laughs> is like so hilarious. Yep. And then I, I doubted if I doubted if the belt to Larry David. Larry David's cameo oh, yeah. in the finale. I, I forgot it was coming. I forgot it was in this last episode of season one. But uh, Anthony, aka Entourage Quotes, and I just spent a good 10, 15 minutes dissecting it. Apparently, it was completely improv by Larry and Jeremy Piven. They just kind of agreed on some main points. You were supposed to take me to the Lakers game, and you didn't show. You went with Vin Diesel instead. And the scene is just pure gold. I'm waiting for your phone call. I call your office. You know that. I don't get a call back. Then I turn on the TV, and I see you sitting next to Vin Diesel. So what the hell is that? I told Emily to call you. She didn't call. She fucked up. My Blackberry was broken. Wait a second. I called her, okay? She gave you that message, and you never called me back. Okay. I was going to go to the game with you. I told Emily that we were going to be late. Okay, I went to go talk to Vin. He's doing the whole, he's got an 18 wheeler with equipment and going crazy. They're making power shakes. I don't know, he's got the fucking crazy glasses on. I don't know what's happening. I told Emily to call you. What she are you talking? Like, what language are you talking? You thought you were gonna, is this an excuse? I don't even know what you're talking about. No, it is, it is exactly what happened. What happened? I still don't know. You're talking Chinese. What <laughs> no, language are you talking? I'm talking Chinese. Larry, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you, pal. Hey, Johnny Drama. Yeah, remember me? Yeah, how you doing? Hey, Art. Hey. It's all thing. Yeah, you like that? Yeah. You don't like it? It's okay. How's the show going? Good? Yeah. 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 Any good parts in there? Uh, maybe. Maybe. That's great. So, we will speak and I will take you to a game. Okay. All right? All right. Yeah. Bye, Larry. Larry, let's talk. Don't ever fucking harass a real client again. Well, I I know the guy. It's like a moment out of Curb Your Enthusiasm in the middle of an Entourage episode. So Larry David's my favorite cameo from uh, season one, hands down. (laughs) 
love to get your opinion on what you think of the Star Joe Tamio. Do you consider that a bad celebrity Tamio? No, I loved it. Okay. I actually thought it was awesome. I actually, um, it's funny because it goes nowhere. Yeah. Like yeah. it's like, it's the most, it's the most, it's sort of very throwaway. Yeah. But because of the episode that it falls in and the timing that it falls in and, you know, uh, Eric connecting sure. uh, Vince with it. You're kind of like, oh yeah, Vince and ScarJo, like <laughs> this is gonna happen. Like you're right, he is the man. Hey Vince, it's Scarlet. Is this uh, is this a bad time? Hey Scarlet. Hey, how are you? Where are you? I'm in New York. I just got in. Really? I, I'm on my way to New York right now. You want to grab a late dinner? <laughs> Uh, let's let's make it an early breakfast. I'll tell you what, I'll call you when I land. Okay. Cool. Talk to you later. It's E's mic drop moment, but the, the criticism I have with it primarily is that it was very clear that they got Scarlett Johansson for like 15 minutes when she was like walking around downtown New York. She's at Grand Central. She's like, hey, I just got off my flight. And you're like, what? Yeah. And then she's like... The ending of the phone call, she said, okay, bye. And I'm just like, you clearly did that in one take. Like, it was kind of a, she's like laughing throughout it. And so, it took. So you have continuity error issues yes. with it. <laughs> yes. it. It really removed me from the reality of this completely fantastical show that I watch. <laughs> So, yeah. Like, what do you mean? Didn't you just get off a train from Greenwich? <laughs> like, why are you at Grand Central? Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you mean? Logistically, no, I, I, I loved it. Like, because again, there's a there's a star that like, all right, like Lost in Translation had just come out like the year True. before. There, people forget the dudes were like in love with Scarlett Johansson. Like still after Lost in Tra- Yeah, exactly. <laughs> after after Lost in Translation came out, just because, you know, there's the butt scene. Yep. Like yep. <laughs> the infamous butt scene. <laughs> <laughs> uh I, what I think it really did was it, it really showed that this this show, this new show on HBO could draw some real star power. I think that's what it really kinda set up. And it kinda made you think like, wow, if they got Scarlett Johansson for the season one finale, who's showing up in season two? And and that's what I really liked about it. Um, outside of her acting, <laughs> such a hater. <laughs> I know. Sorry, Scarlett. I if can't you're believe listening. it, Scarlett. If you want to come on the podcast and defend yourself, we're happy to have you. We are introduced to a lot of new characters in season one. Characters that have staying power. Characters that hang around for the entirety of the show. I call this award the Marvin Award for the best new character. So, who would you say is the Marvin Award for season one? Is it Marvin? The business manager, you know, don't forget to get your parking validated. The first thing he says to Eric as he's leaving. Is it Shauna, played by Debbie Mazur from Goodfellas? Is it Mrs. Ari, a.k.a. Perry Reeves? She stands up to Ari in that famous, there's a tab stand at fucking yucca. Is it Adam Davies, the slimeball agent of Johnny Drama? Or is it Billy Walsh, who really, like, is part of the entourage in the first two, three seasons? This is a loaded question on who, who gets this award. In the pure context mm-hmm. of of season one, all right, it's Shauna. Yeah. All right? Because Shauna is doing the publicist's job of molding Vince into a celebrity. All right? And here's, and here's what I, I'm using to draw that from. Like, 
when they go to uh, when they go to the first Gary Busey art thing, the reason why they go to it is because oh, Shauna said we have to be in this. Yeah, that little like writing one liner was was one of those things where it's like, hey, Shauna has a lot of pow- behind yeah. the scenes power yeah. in this universe, and she's the person. She's putting people together uh, to maintain that, you know, Vince's star power continues to grow in the way that it grows. So I think that Shauna is an incredibly powerful character in season one. And I think she, uh, I see, I, I would give her the Marvin. Sorry, Marvin. Okay. Sorry, Marvin. You know, and you know what's interesting is in seasons two, she's in every episode in season two. She's kind of brokering the relationship amongst all that we can get to what's going to happen in season two but all amongst all the aquaman in the wake of aquaman see what i did there like she's kind of maneuvering vince around so she's very present she helps the boys buy a house decorate it so definitely i can see where you're coming from where she's like putting her hands all over vince in like a good way to like really kind of put set him up for success i guess I don't know if I said that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, there's that, like, sort of painful to watch, like, scene where she brings the Harley uh, out and, you know, Vince has his, like, vegan girlfriend that's awful and, (laughs) like, Turtle is hitting on the assist, on Shauna's assistant. Like, one of the first times of many that that happens. It's it, it was kind of interesting because she's like put all this together, not really for any specific reason other than like Vince wanted it. She's having this like very uh pushbacky conversation with um I think it's with I think it's with Eric, uh where or somewhere where he's like, Well Vince won it. Vince told me he wanted it. Yeah. And I'm telling you that he wanted it. And then Vince comes out, he's like, Hey Shauna. Yeah. Just so you know, look, you know I love you, but I can't take a picture on that thing. Turtle said that you would do it. No, I know. It's just my girl. She's really conscious about the environment. And she thinks it sends the wrong message. Really? I mean, she doesn't mind riding around in your Hummer. What is she thinking? Look, I don't know what she's thinking, but, you know, I can't be hassled. Look, Vincent, you're totally fucking me on this. I'll take the picture. What am I supposed to do with your fucking picture? You know, and you, give me back those Uggs. I know they're not for him, you fat midget. Shauna, you're gonna have to pull them from my cold, dead hands. One of the things that goes to show you that, like, look, She's doing all these little things to position him in the way that, like, the that he's going to be in the long run. Totally. Uh, I would say probably runner-up or special consideration goes for Mrs. Ari, uh, only because of her staying power. Because Ari is like a a rocket ship in season one, just like lifting off the ground and ascending. And as I mentioned, like, goes on to win all these awards, just has these, like, basically is on a hot streak for the next three years, and she's the only person who kind of keeps him in line, like, kind of kind of knocks him down a few peds. Like, I didn't appreciate the Mrs. Ari character as a 22-year-old bro in college. I was like, oh, what a nad. What a, what a typical wife character. But now that I'm 30, now that I have a wife of my own, I'm like, I kind of get it. She doesn't want him going to the Playboy Mansion at, <laughs> like, 3 o'clock in the morning on a, on a work night, you know? Like, she, she, she if he's going to be taking business calls on their, you know, couple's getaway, like, she's got to set a precedent. I, I get it now, and that's, so I have a lot of respect for her. Eric, doing a show. Hey, where do you think you're going? I, they just flew in a liver. I got to do the transplant. Where do you think I'm going? You are such an asshole. I'm the asshole that pays for your art lessons and gets celebrities to attend your charity events and support your deadbeat brother. Hey, little agent boy, you better be back here for the cake. I think the interesting thing about Mrs. Ari's 
as a as far as like character development in season in the season is how it juxtapositions like how Ari really is. Yep. You know, you have that like let's go back to season one where he like you know talks about like where Ari drops that weird out of context like one liner at dinner with uh with with Eric about um you know who it is he's fucking or something yeah. like that and then like and that but then Mrs. Ari kind of enters the picture and you realize that like oh actually like um you know Ari is like very much so like beholden to his you know he's he's in this relationship like and Mrs. Ari is a big part of like who he actually is sure. uh in, in the long run yeah. you know yeah, and he goes on to be very faithful to his wife, very protective and very respectful of her in the next four or five seasons. And those those weird little blips in character, like we discussed them at the time, is not aging well. And I think those, I think we can just chalk those up to like season one writing and trying to flesh out a character. So I think you say that though, but I think it's important to the. I think it's important. Mrs. Ari's presence though in the universe is. Uh, really important to the development of Ari as a person of character yep. um, in it in in the entourage world. Like I think that like you know without her being as heavy handed and strong and you know I think without that and without Ari responding to that, if Ari was just like some dude who was cheating on his wife and like yeah. it, the show visualized that, we would not think of the guy in the same way at all as totally. he's making, you know, various power plays and whatnot. So I think, I agree. I think that's like, I think that's really, really important to the, to the world. Johnny Drama. Incredible character and played by an incredible character actor Kevin Dillon nominated for multiple Emmys supporting actor in a comedy unfortunately never won one he has a murderous row of great moments in season one a couple of them that I can think of like one little one in the in the pilot he like tries to get out of the limo before Vince at Vince's movie premiere incredible lines Brandon what would you say was your favorite Johnny drama moment in season one um my my favorite Johnny Drama moment was when uh, when he brought his lady friend over, um, <laughs> Tanya. Tanya, and uh, you know, and what was it? Turtle was like, ah, they're fucking like animals. That breakfast scene where like Vince is kind of whiny and like, I'm hungry. Come <laughs> on, where are you? And then they walk downstairs. Tanya, this is my brother Vince. Hey, good luck tonight. Yeah, me and him both. See? Oh, these are the other guys. What's up, guys? Hey. hey. You want a creatine check? No, I got a case of Luna bars in the car. Uh, you know, you see drama being a being a romantic for the first time while getting getting his balls completely busted uh, <laughs> by the gang. Uh, that to me was was probably my favorite favorite drama moment of the of the season. That was season, that was episode four, date night. Uh, I discussed this with Sarah Solomon, but I maintain that like Tanya and Drama, not a bad pairing. They're both like very image conscious. She's healthy. She's like really into her body. He's the same way. I bet if they had met in season eight, they would have ended up married by the end of the show. That's just a theory I have, though. <laughs> there's there's a couple other in the talk show episode when they're doing the pre-interview for the talk show on the golf course drama says hey 
Tell him about the stoned-out craft service girl who blew me after lunch. Come on, dude, stop it, drama. I'm trying to help. Well, you're not helping. You're embarrassing me. Hey, I was on Arsenio. It never aired because he got canceled, but I was good. <laughs> Those types of, like, weird callbacks to old shows in, like, the 90s, they just get, like, deeper, deeper, and more random as the show progresses. And I laugh out loud every time because they make, they don't make a lick of sense. I would say that, like, I have a I have a least favorite drama moment because, like, the dude's hilarious. You're yeah. getting, like, you're getting punched up with one-liners, like, yeah. the the entire, t- anytime he's on screen. My least favorite moment, though, is when he goes to audition and yeah. has this, you're rooting for the guy. Yeah. And, like, he has this, like, meltdown over the guy on his sidekick in the back. I know. Uh, and you're, like, and you're, like... Ah, drama. I know. Why? And then he goes, "Fuck television!" And like, you know, that happens many more times, as we know. And that, and that's that's what he's like—a very tragic character in that sense. Like, every time you think he's building up to some success, he comes up just short, and um, doesn't see any real success until towards the end of the show's run. But that's what makes him so fun to root for, is because you know he's gonna fail, and you know he's gonna do it in spectacular hilarious fashion but i do agree it's it's tough to watch and it's not one of his better moments i mentioned this in the last episode but his moment of like brevity with vince in the limo you made the stupid decision bro what yeah you ain't that easy (laughs) you think you're gonna find someone that you like that can tolerate you 24 7 i love you bro but i ain't doing it kind of encouraging him to reconsider eric's offer to be his manager i thought that was a nice moment again just a nice moment of drama and and sincerity in in what had been like a goofy couple episodes of the last half of the season. Yeah, I also think like there was a, there was another great moment of like brotherhood between uh, Vince and Drama, where in the agency visit, where when they're leaving, and Vince is like, "Hey, look, he's my brother, and I'm and 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 I'm actually mad about this." Yeah. I'm gonna fire Ari Vince. Oh, Fredo is angry. I'm serious, Vince. The guy does nothing for you. All right, what are you so upset about? You asked him to help me with representation. The best he can do is Adam Davies. You serious, Trauma? No, no, you know what? Johnny's right, E. I asked Ari to help him out, and he sets him up with a glorified assistant. No, I'm actually semi-upset. And, you know, it's kind of like Vince's, like, uh, most sincere way of actually saying that he's upset about something. Sure, yeah. Um, without, you know, throwing a tantrum or something like that. And uh, and you're not really sure if he's serious at first, and then you're like, you know, he's kind of serious. Like, he's flexing. He's being not really very brotherly about it, sure. but, like, yeah. it's, it's kind of real. <laughs> In that, you mentioned Vince, we're talking about drama. Every week I asked who won the episode. This is a very loaded question, but I, I talked about the character growth and the arts of each character at the beginning of this episode. Who would you say won the season. We can include Vince in this. I don't include Vince uh, in the episode of episode recaps because he's a movie star and he wins every week, but who really had the best kind of character growth over the course of these eight episodes? Uh, why don't I start? I'll make, a, I'll make an argument for E because E, while he gets shit on a lot by Ari, by his many girlfriends, by even Turtle, like he really goes for it. You know, according to his timeline, he only moved there a couple months before. He really kind of like maneuvers and positions himself in a way that he becomes indispensable to Vince. Reads his scripts, recommends the good ones, and ends up finding 
you come to learn like all of Vince's best, best projects um, and some of his bad ones too, which you know, we'll get to in a couple seasons. But so I'll, I'll say, you know, E's growth and becoming Vince's manager at the end, that that's, he, he, he may have won the season for me. Well, well who is your winner, Brandon? I mean, that E was my winner too for that. Like basically for the exact same reasons, um, because when after they have the kind of grand spread uh, that like and everybody's cheering for Vince uh, after the movie opening, he, he is like, look, he, they have this moment where he first flexes and says, hey, look, we want to do Queens Boulevard. Yep. Uh, Queens Boulevard is what, you know, like we don't give a shit about like all these other other projects like we want Queens Boulevard. How do we make it happen? And you're right. Like. He uh he a thousand percent like wins. He goes to bat and wins ultimately for himself. Honestly, yeah. like yeah. like when they're negotiating on the runway, uh you know they're negotiating compensation or whatever, and uh, there's you're kind of like all right, look like he has played hardball for Vince, like. And now here he is playing hardball for himself. Yeah. Like, yeah. too. And it's like, look, you're not being a fucking wet blanket in that. And, like, you know, good for him. You're doing what you should be doing. So E probably experiences the most growth over season one. But in terms of who won season one, it's Ari. Jeremy Piven is incredible in this. He is, like, what made people watch, what made people want to stick around and continue watching. As I mentioned, you know, he he was he was actually nominated for an Emmy for this season. He, he actually lost it to Brad Garrett, uh, who played Robert Barone on Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> um, he lost it that year to an Everybody Loves Raymond character actor, but then went on to win it for the next three years in a row. Just incredible moments. Not a lot of growth from Ari, but growth in later seasons that we can look forward to. It, Ari's the clear-cut winner to me in terms of overall just, like, gold medal. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, because, like, look, in terms of performance, Ari is, like, Ari is, uh, he's, he's basically, he's basically a machine gun at anybody that comes at him, and, you know, obviously it's, it's what the character was designed to do. (laughs) He also has, like, very limited screen time with these guys. If these guys are taking up the screen for 60% of the time, Ari gets probably 20% of it. And every time, he's, it's like a heat check. He just comes in, drops incredible one-liners, disses Eric, you know, makes a taste for his client, and then is out. And that's like his role in every episode and, and does it with such efficiency that he really just be, became legendary for it. So Stone, co- Stone Cold Killer. Absolutely. I think the other thing, too, that's really important about Ari is that he's not one of the gang. Yep, exactly. Like, his job is not to be one of the gang, not to be not to be a boy, like or anything like that. Like he is he is doing what he has to do to survive around on the life that he built and what he is very good at doing. There's some sort of power play like going on, but he is not just hanging out. Yep. Um, if you will. So I think that's really important and crucial in all this. So season one of Entourage went off the air in the fall of two thousand and four. So George Bush quickly got reelected to president. The year went by, and then at the beginning of the summer in 2005, season two aired. Some incredible stuff happens in season two. We cannot wait to get into episode-by-episode content around it. I can't wait to break down some of the higher and lower moments from this season. In this season, 
Ari pushes Vince to make a new film about a comic book hero named Aquaman. But Vince and Eric actually have their eyes set on a different script called Median. The boys go to a party at the Playboy Mansion. They buy a mansion of their own and run into some money troubles very quickly. There's a certain movie that takes place in Queens that is accepted in a Sundance and the boys' journey to the festival. Turtle begins to branch out into hip-hop producing for an up-and-coming rapper named Saigon. And most importantly, there are some major female characters that are introduced, including Dana Gordon, Sloane McEwitt, and Mandy Moore, the former who touches the eye of Eric and the latter who sends Vince spiraling both at Tomaton and on the set of his new movie, which may or may not be directed by James Cameron. Spoiler alert, it is. Brandon, I know, you know, we haven't done any, you know, actual research on season two yet, but out of everything I just told you, what are you most looking forward to kind of revisiting in season two? Wow. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The new character, honestly, the new characters, like season one has its very defined characters for, you know, how it develops. But the uh, the secondary characters that get added in season two are incredible. Sloan, I mean, you know, Dana, etc. These are characters that get added to the mix and they make the show a rocket ship. Yep. It kind of expands the Entourage universe. I'm talking about it like as a comic book, but it's it's honestly like it makes the the universe bigger and gives their gives it so much more depth and fleshes out these relationships. and And I can't wait. This is really the golden era of Entourage. Is season two and then three A and three B. And I can't wait to revisit it every Monday morning with each and every one of you. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Season 1 Retap. Brandon, thank you so much for joining me. We will definitely have you back at some point soon. Always, always. Okay. Yeah. Guys, don't forget to leave us a five-star review. If you liked what you've been listening, if you're looking forward to what's coming up, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. They really help the podcast out. Follow the uh, social media accounts. They are both at oh yeah Pod on Instagram and Twitter. I am at JR. We'll do it on Instagram and Twitter. Brandon, where can the good listeners find you? BroBible.com. That's right. Uh, home to every Entourage fan. My favorite website. Looking forward to doing a lot with BroBible in the future. I will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your week.